Your fucking head open again. Cause I'm fucking stupid. I don't give a fuck about jail. That's my business. That's what I do. And we know what you do, don't we, Charlie? You fuck people out of money and get away with it. You can't hey, you fat Irish prick. You put my fucking money to sleep. You go get my money or I'll put your fucking brain to sleep. Now it's time to play. <laughs> Welcome to Last Man on Earth. My name is Lex Jurger. As always, I'm flanked by Matt Ralston. Matt has been asked to stand up for Lady Gaga on her world tour while the music artist recovers from her fibromyalgia. What do Matt and Lady Gaga have in common, you might ask? I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked. Hung, a huge hung, huge gay male following, elaborate shiny costumes, and his children both were called Stephanie by their parents. That's <laughs> true, true story. Poor Lady Gaga. How do you get so sick when you're like 30 years old? Fibromyalgia. Yeah. That just means you generally don't feel very good, right? Uh, I see the commercials for it where they show like the shooting pain going through your back and arms, but it seems to be older people. Like older people get a lot of like just painful illnesses that just involve pain. Yeah, <laughs> which used to just be called getting old. But now you know at least they can identify and treat a little better. But I've never seen like a what is she like maybe twenty eight, thirty years old. That seems very young for a woman to have fibromyalgia. I think it's just one of those things where it's like chronic fatigue syndrome. Like it's like okay, well, if you don't have AIDS, you don't have yes. cancer, you don't have uh, any kind of bloodborne illness. I think you're just you might be lazy. Yeah. Also, she's in. I don't know. I mean, those perfor- those. I give some credit to those perf- like Britney and those other people. There's a lot of work you do on stage in those performances. Not the singing part because they seem to lip sync, but you do a shitload of dancing every night. It's not like physically that easy. I mean, Prince remember like like would break his ankles all the time and stuff like that. And he was like 45 years old, or 50, jumping off stands and stuff. Yeah. You got to be in pretty good shape to do that, but fibromyalgia—it does sound like one of those illnesses you tell people you have, and no one can dispute it. Well, Lady Gaga is wearing like you know giant props on her head, and she's wearing those weird boots all the time. Like she, she might actually be, you know have like the body of Emmett Smith at this point. She was in a wheelchair like two or three years ago for like three months from like doing something to her hip, fucking up her hip. Yeah. Also, she's kind of heavy. She's a little heavy. Uh, I don't like the body shame, but she's kind of heavy to be doing all that dancing. So. Generally, dancers, you want to, you know, you weigh under 100 pounds, you're going to be fine. But when you start pushing 140, 150, and you're still jumping off shit and twisting stuff, yeah. you're going to hurt yourself. That's why I don't dance, Matt. This week's show is sponsored by all the people still pretending the Handmaid's Tale on Hulu was more than a torturously stilted bit of feminist future porn. <laughs> Handmaid's Tale posers, you're like the Wire posers, except the Wire was actually good and contained strong female characters as opposed to subjugated rape victims. Do you not see the difference? It's true, like... So I was thinking about The Wire. Like That was a show everyone said they watched to look really cool. Mm-hmm. It was actually, I thought it was a good show. There actually were female characters in The Wire who were cops and strong female characters. In The Handmaid's Tale, they're all strong female characters because they're surviving being raped and tortured by men. 
Does that seem as? I mean, I know that's a feminist wet dream that like that's sort of how the world is. Yeah. Does that seem as like empowering to women? I, I don't know. It, like I was listening to because I haven't seen Handmaid's Tale, but I was listening to NPR, and I guess I'd never really thought about like you explained to me what the show is about, but I either wasn't paying attention or just like it was too much. Fair enough. Sensory overload. But they just go, yeah, so this Handmaid's Tale won, like, every Emmy possible. It's about a future when men uh, uh, abuse women. Yes. <laughs> That's what they said on the, on the radio. In the name of, Christi- in the name of Christianity. <laughs> so um, it sounds really preachy and That's basically, I mean, pretty basically- far-fetched, actually. I mean, women have come so far, and, and they still need to fantasize about how disadvantaged they are when... I mean, pretty much any metric would would point to them, you know, exercising a fair amount of privilege in this country. Also, all the, uh, by the way, the, the novel is based on the Margaret Atwood novels written 35 years ago, and she was a Canadian uh, feminist who envisioned this happening not in Canada but in America because she hated America so much. She was an avid uh, anti-Americanist. She hated everything America. She hated. Mm-hmm. So she imagined this happening in America. So it was as much as it was a feminist, uh, you know, feminist uh, nightmare scenario. It was actually a knock on America. It was actually a knock on America and how lame America was that hmm. they would allow this to happen. So it was like a two. It served two of her purposes because in the show, in the show, in the novel, in the show, if you can just if the women can just make it to Canada, it's amazing there for women. But in America, that's very it's all regressive and, and it's enslavement. First of all, I don't know who this woman is. Uh, I've never really met a Canadian that hates America, um, unless maybe she's French Canadian. Like from Montreal. Well, this was—I say this was the Reagan years, so she was—it was probably a lot to do with Reagan. But Canada and America are like really similar. Yeah, they're not that different. And if anything, Canada tries to be like America. They just—I would think Canada is probably generally a little more liberal than America as an overall. I mean, they would never elect Trump to be president. Uh, they elect generally liberal leaders, national, nationally speaking. But yeah, they're very—but it's largely very similar. Let's say, let's say Canada is the same as New York. Okay. It's yeah, a, I'll it's identical with that. to New York. Uh, anyhow, don't watch the show, Matt. It'll just scare you. It'll remind you of your future. And by the way, uh, the only good part is that it's, all, it's also the men raping women in the future are black men, Latinos, and white men. So they get together. The men get together, and then <laughs> there's like a positive message there. The men work together across ethnicities and races to rape the women. So there's that to look. For, there's that to look forward to. It's what? sort of like Martin Luther King's dream. If <laughs> if guys wanted to do that, I mean. Why does this need to take place in the future, really? First of all, I think this has well, sort of it's, happened it's, in the past. It's the near future. It's, it's the near future. It's like not. It's like five years in the future, but it's not like the galactic future. So this is like rattling the minds of of people that are completely alarmist, like like hard, like far far left feminists that are insane are like probably thinking this is legit a possibility. Yes, but because the way you described it on the radio that this is a show about men who abuse women, it has to win awards. Even if people don't see it, right. it has, you can't be against it. We're going to talk about the movie Mother later. It's the same thing. You can't be against it because if you are, you're just, a, you're just an ignorant uh, whatever, disenfran- ignorant, uneducated person. If you wish to contact the show, hit us up on Twitter, Last Men Podcast, or on Facebook, also Last Men Podcast. All right, on to the show. Uh, Matt, I think you are a fan of Rolling Stone magazine. Is that fair to say? In the past? Uh, yeah, I'd say over the years I've, I've enjoyed it. I like Matt, Matt Taibbi's uh, column. Yes. Matt Taibbi is one of the better writers the last decade or so for Rolling Stone and before that. Uh, they used to be, it was considered a counterculture magazine. It was started in 1967 by Jan Wenner. It was, I think, at Berkeley at the time or lived in Berkeley. It was just a hippie doing drugs and was still straight at the time before he came out 
as wildly gay and took on young gay boyfriends, <laughs> which is a, a privilege you get when you're wealthy and you're out of the closet. Right. Um, so it was announced this week, Jan Wenner and his son, uh, Gus, 27-year-old son Gus, from when he was also still, when Jan was still straight and making babies, are doing a fire sale of Rolling Stone How magazine. does every gay guy have at least one kid? I don't have any. <laughs> no. And I'm not gay. Like I don't. <laughs> well, if you were if you were uh, appropriately covering for your your sexuality, as he did back in the 70s and 80s, he was married and had made babies to cover you know cover for the fact that he was gay. I guess. Well, if you were his son, wouldn't you be like, hey man? Uh, so I guess I'm just like your alibi here. Uh, yeah, but then again, you get named the uh, chief executive of Rolling Stone magazine, so there's some privileges. True. You get to go to super cool parties and attend any concert you want to ever. <laughs> so it's not. It's not all that bad for Gus and the other kids. I mean, having a rich, having a rich, connected gay dad isn't the worst thing in the world. I would just like to see a PSA, like, hey, if you know for a fact you're gay, stop having the children with your uh, beard. Yes, right. Uh, well, we're gonna get to Tom Cruise later. Uh, although it may not be his kids. Uh, so, is this Matt? Let me ask you, Rolling Stone. It's going. On, it's going under. I guess they're fire sailing it. And we've. Been, I've criticized Rolling Stone for the last at least the last five years. They seem to have made every single bad decision you can make as a legacy publisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, magazines dominated the last half of the second half of the last century. They were everything. These magazines, Rolling Stone, Playboy, uh, Time, they were like the biggest they were the biggest things out there and now they're all dying. Most of them are dying. Um, is this the end? Is Rolling Stone, is this the very end of like the Matt Taibbi articles of the world we'll never ever see again? I don't know. I guess they could publish them online, but uh, they do, but they pay like 90% less. <laughs> so these guys have all gone to work somewhere else. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't know. I don't know where. I'm sure there's still a place for good articles if anyone will read them. But um, I can't imagine like a real mainstream type of magazine. Because Rolling Stone was one of the last ones, right? Like Playboy used to have good articles and they stopped that a long time ago. And they got rid of nudity, which was sort of a... I mean, basically the first cuts they make are to the people that provide the content, right? So then they still have this name as their banner, but the content blows and well, the eventually first, the audience catches technically on. Technically the first people that cut are the copy editors who are, like make sure that people don't write like long-form articles about rapes on, cam- on UVA campuses that didn't happen without any, source- without any validated sources. <laughs> right. And actually, New York Times, New York Times last two months ago cut all their copy editors mm-hmm. uh, to handle their falling subscription rates. So the copy editors, which are the people who kind of make sure that the authors don't just put shit out there, mm-hmm. are gone now. So now shit can get out there. And by the way, they're paying the authors a lot less than they used to, a lot less than they used to. So they're, even if they're good authors, they're spending a lot less time on their work. So the articles themselves contain a lot more errors. Rolling Stone had a number of articles that contained a lot of errors. Mm-hmm. And they weren't doing in-depth counter-cultural articles anymore. They were just doing, like, shocking articles. Profiles head- on Demi Lovato yes. or, yeah, just status quo, like, sensational TMZ-style Yeah, shit. basically, which is what you need when, you, when, you, when you're late to the game in terms of transitioning to digital. The only way for you to compete is to go... Super hardcore political anti-Trump, I guess, because you get views, and then to like try and come up with shocking headlines about like a ra- you know a rape that didn't happen. So is this, is this it? Is this the end of like the magazines that we grew up on that were amazing? I think so. I mean, I don't know. Rock and roll's dead, isn't it? So why yes. wouldn't a rock and roll magazine die along with it? That's really doubly sad. <laughs> I know guys. So I know guys who wrote, you know guys are now in their forties and fifties who wrote. Made a living for magazine uh, magazine writers, right? Freelance mm-hmm. magazine writers who wrote for all the major magazines, and they made a decent, a, a good living, you know. And then, starting about you know ten years ago and to five years ago, they started cutting the rates dramatically, and they no longer could afford to work for those magazines. 
So basically, they lost their Matt Taibis. They lost their professional staff of qualified riders because instead of whatever they were paying them before, they gave them a seventy percent pay cut, and mm-hmm. they're like, "We can't afford to write an article, a long form article, for a couple grand." You know. So those I don't those people went to write novels and other things, but I think it's gone. I don't think you can find that content anywhere anymore. I mean, I'm picturing like the um, iconic Rolling Stones sort of covers. Uh, maybe with like Led Zeppelin or um, Naked John Lennon, Lennon, Bob Dylan. But now their covers are like Justin Bieber, and it's like, well, we have fucking Tiger Beat for that. Yeah, like you know, that will, I, mean? I hope Tiger Beat never goes away. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they don't need to hire. Any, I mean, they're just it's, it's they're just, just grabbing photos. Yeah. so it makes sense. But I mean, yeah, it sort of lost its edge a long time ago. Um, and also, also, people under thirty, let's call it thirty, are not reading long form articles anymore. They're not actually taking the time to sit down and read an article for half an hour. Yeah. So that's gone. You know, you don't see. Look at a waiting room at the dentist. You don't see anyone reading the magazines anymore. Yeah, it's it's simply not cool, and that's that's in part, I think, just an evolution in terms of culture. But I think it's also probably partly their fault because they sort of sold out even to like their loyal. Um, yes, fan base and like to me, Rolling Stone. I'm I'm not really old enough to where I actually ever thought it was awesome. But you know, I, I if I had to pick a magazine to read, like at the airport, I, I might pick that one. You knew it had a couple or three good articles in it. Yeah, but that I stopped having that feeling. You know, five or six years ago. Yeah, the Cameron Crow uh, hanging around, you know, with the uh, music artists on the road and doing drugs and stuff. Yeah. Those articles are long gone. That movie was great. And who knows, maybe they blew a large wad of cash uh, financing that movie, yes. too, under the table. Because that, that was sort of a commercial for how awesome uh, Rolling Stone was, wasn't it? Yeah, if you look at... Actually, I went back and looked at the profile photos of Jan Wenner from the 60s when he started the magazine, the late 60s, early 70s. He just hung out with every single cool music artist, like... While they were producing music or backstage or just doing drugs in hotel rooms, mm-hmm. it was pretty amazing. I mean, his lot, what he what he got out of that was pretty amazing. So it's just photos of him with like hanging with Boss Skaggs, like in Southern Georgia, like drinking moonshine and just make you know while he was making music and stuff. Yeah, it was like who's the band that like uh, some chick they they like had sex with her with a shark or something. That, I don't know, but that sounds amazing. Uh, at the Hotel California. It, th- but there was like this debaucherous, and yes. that, that sounds weird. This is not my fucking story. Uh, that was in the magazine, but, uh, you know, there was all this debaucherous counterculture shit about drugs and, and rock and roll and, and whatnot. And um, I feel like now that would just be considered politically incorrect. Yeah, well, the reporters were, imbe- the, uh, the, the article authors were embedded with the. The musicians. So they were doing drugs, too, and they were getting wasted and having sex. The same shit that they're doing now, yes. but it's just when With you Justin profile them, they got to be talking about their fucking donations to UNICEF or whatever. Yeah, I think, I think Rolling Stone is gone. I like Jen Wenner says after they sell it, he hopes that whoever buys it for some cheap price keeps them on as editor, which I'm sure when they buy the magazine at a, at a cut rate, they're going to want to keep them on at $20 million a year. <laughs> <laughs> The most expensive with a plane, you know, is the most expensive failed editor ever. I mean, whatever he did in those first years, that was amazing. The last ten years, he's completely sucked with the magazine. So he once he once bragged that it was worth the mag- this is back in the seventies, whatever. The magazine was worth five hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. which it may have been, or like a billion in current dollars, billion plus. Well, now they're selling it for about forty million. So forty million. Yeah. Well, That's- they sold half of it for forty million last year, and now it's gone down even more. So so it's owned by some. Conglomerate, Asian, yeah, some Asian conglomerate. Where I guess Rolling Stone—that's happened with like Playboy, some other magazines—they're still 
really big in Asia because mm-hmm. Asia picks them up later. <laughs> so the curve, like the you know the audience curve, still hasn't dipped yet in Asia. So they're big. In, they're big in Japan, basically. Okay. Matt, let me ask you. One day you hope to be a father, probably by accident. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be like Jan Wenner, the gay father who asked him to make cover, big cover babies. Speaking of cover babies, no one's made more cover babies than Tom Cruise. Although it's unclear actually how many babies he's actually produced his, on, his, on his own. He's, he, with his first wife, uh, Mimi Rogers, uh, amazing rack. Mimi Rogers, the amazing rack. Mimi Rogers, I don't remember her. She was in, uh, his first wife like in the late 80s, early 90s. She was just, um, uh, I don't know if you would remember her from. She was in Days of Thunder, I think. She has a just enormous breasts. Okay. Which was odd for a like a let's say let's say a gay man to choose that as a beard, like a woman with just a big huge rack. So you think they would have gone with a more boyish boyish beard? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Seems like you're covering too much. Like you don't want to try too hard to cover. Like look at check out my check out my fake wife's tits. <laughs> like you know, she was known for her breasts. She was known for just her big breasts, which seems like an odd choice in a, in a beard. I feel I, like they would scare a gay guy a little bit. Yeah, or like it would, he would might feel like he's trying too hard. Like to, with this cover story, like you know, to get like a very sexual big breasted woman would be too much. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, according to her, they, they all have NDAs and shit like that. But according to her, she leaked out that they never really had sex. Uh, he was kind of cold towards her. Then he married Nicole Kidman. They adopted two or three kids. Uh, who now, by the way, those kids they adopted are now grown kids, like in the early twenties. Hmm. They are not allowed to talk to Nicole Kidman because they're still in Scientology. Those kids or those uh, adopted kids were raised in Scientology and remain in Scientology. Oh, so when Nicole Kidman left and Tom Cruise split up, they are no longer allowed to talk to their mom. Adopted mom Nicole. So he talks to those kids. Yeah, so he's tight with those kids. So those kids, by the way, this is important to the story we're going to talk about. Those kids get cool cars. They get to go on the movie set. They get jobs. Yeah, those kids are going to move up the ladder. Yeah, his son is like actually son. One of his adopted sons is 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 black, and he is actually worth mentioning only because it's Tom Cruise's dad. So when people see him, they don't go, "Oh, that's Tom Cruise's son." Uh, he was adopted anyhow, but he's got a, a black son, and he's working now. And he's like, I saw him riding like in helicopters and shit like that. He's got the good life, right? So I don't know if he really believes in Scientology, but you want to stick with it if you want. Yeah, like, if you're adopted and, and fuck, like I, I don't, and and you don't have to go through the ranks of Scientology, like you may as well just roll with it. Yeah, you earn your way in, and then, then you. By the way, you're, when you're 16, you get like a Ferrari, and when you're 21, you get a helicopter. And if you if you leave it, you have no bank account, zero. You yes. are a homeless guy basically. You're like a rap entourage you're like a rapper's entourage you can live like a huge wild life but the minute you leave you have zero dollars <laughs> i used to work with uh, years ago i used to work with rappers i don't know if you know that and they would keep like eight ten guys around them and mm-hmm. the guys would drive mercedes and have rolexes and get the bitches and stay in the four seasons and stuff like that but they never had zero, they had zero dollars of their own it was always paid for by the rapper mm-hmm. by the main guy and uh to keep them loyal and if they ever left I mean, literally, they had twenty dollars in their pocket. They had nothing. Everything was leased. Everything was nothing was owned. Nothing was put in their name. So they lived like a millionaire's lifestyle. But the minute they wanted to leave, they had twenty dollars, and that was it. And no, and, and cut out. <laughs> so that's it's a very depressing. Like, yeah, that seems like an old Japanese like feudal lord system or something <laughs> like or Italian mafia. You leave and you get nothing. You get, like cut out. You get nothing. Uh, so Tom Cruise now has Surrey uh, by Katie Holmes. Although the rumors were that. Josh Hartnett was the uh, the bio the bio father donated the sperm for the you know do you recall that that was twelve years ago now 
Oh well, they uh, him and Tom Cruise look a lot alike, so it'd be hard to pr- like prove based on appearance. There was a Tom after Tom and Katie were married. And Katie Holmes were married. They went to Italy on like an extended six week vacation, and they were seen with Josh Hartnett, which wasn't he was filming or whatever. It wasn't seem so weird. And then when she left Italy, they announced she was pregnant. And so the rumor always was that you know that it was Josh Hartnett's had donated that got Katie Holmes pregnant. You mean like he banged her? He didn't jerk off into a. Listerine. I, cup. One of the, I don't know. One of the two things. I mean, you know, Tom Cruise could certainly use the Listerine cup to get his wife's pregnant. So that could have happened. Does so, that work? Doesn't a sperm? How long does it stay alive? Uh, pretty good, long time. Yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised. You got to check out what you're uh, doing there with your sperm after the fact because it could be. <laughs> don't you know the stories about the girls who take like the sperm out of the condoms and stuff like that? Yeah, but I just I don't know if that's like a freak, like a, a you know a very random occurrence, or if that's just like. Standard. I think in the, if you watch the movies and TV, they have the guys like doing the sperm. Then they well, usually do the sperm on site, the, the donation. But I think they could also drive it there, like if it's like fifth, like under half an hour or something like that, and kept. Warm. I mean, that, that's pretty. Uh, there's not a lot of proof that Josh Hartnett's the father. If the only circumstantial is that they saw them together. Right? Well, yeah, and also the fact that Tom Cruise. The rumor is Tom Cruise hasn't made any of his own children. It hasn't actually sired a child of his own. Whether that because he doesn't like women or just because he's got some weird hang-up about like, having an offspring, an actual biological or, or offspring. Or maybe he uh, uh, doesn't have any sperm count. Yeah, that's possible, too. Ooh, that could be. Uh, you, you accuse him of being gay and having no sperm. That's the worst. <laughs> that's got to be the worst. <laughs> what a curse. Anyhow, so, five, so Tom broke up with Katie Holmes in what you described as a contractual marriage, I believe. Yeah. Uh, they did their six years together, whatever, produced a child, whether that was with or without Josh Hartnett's help. And then after they divorced, after their five years, about a year after the divorce, there was an article in uh, Life and Style magazine I know you get. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of magazines that will go on forever while Rolling Stone dies, women's tabloid magazines will go on forever. Uh, they said that Tom Cruise had abandoned his daughter and had, had hardly even seen her in the year since he got divorced from Katie. Tom Cruise sued for $50 million, claiming this was an outrage, that he was a good father, this is slander, or libel, or whatever fuck it was. <laughs> Defamation, $50 million. He was going to pursue it, even if it meant him being deposed about, with questions like, you know, how much do you love Xenu, the rocket ship man? And <laughs> why, do you jump on cou- why do you jump on top of couches, and why do you jump on top of men? Questions like those, which could be embarrassing in deposition. Right. Um, and eventually that suit just was dropped or settled or something like that uh, without anyone being allowed to talk about it, so no one knows exactly what happened. But now cut to four years later, In Touch Weekly says Tom Cruise hasn't seen his daughter in four years, which is pretty harsh from like age 7 to 11. So where would they be getting this information from, like someone that works for the, the family? They could, or? Be getting, they could be getting from Katie Holmes, right. for all you know. I mean, here's the thing. You know you're not going to say unless you have proof because you don't want to get sued for $50 million again. It's already, it's already clear he's going to sue you for $50 million if you don't have proof. So, and also, you know, the truth is obviously the, the defense to, to defamation. Well, I don't know anything about it, but I mean, I would f- feel fairly confident saying it because when you're in Scientology, you you literally aren't allowed to talk to people who left. Well, that's the point. And also, you don't you might you might say he barely sees this child or he hardly ever sees her. But if you say he's never seen her in four years, that's a pretty specific accusation. Yeah, he would only have to prove that he's actually been in contact with her to disprove. So, I would think it's probably true. But here's the point. The reason is, obviously, is because Katie left Scientology when they divorced. And so she and the daughter are listed as suppressive people, mm-hmm. which I never quite understood that term. 
It sounds amazing. It sounds like something you want to call your like family members you don't like. Suppressive people. Like, Mom, Dad, stop suppressing me. Yeah, what are they suppressing? You're the religious weirdo that's spewing horse yes. shit. I guess you're suppressing. <laughs> you're still allowed to do that. Well, I guess in their minds you're suppressing the truth. But uh, so you're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to speak to them. You're suppressing the truth by not engaging. But you're, you're a denier. You're a denier, basically. Right. I mean, I don't know. They, the Muslims, when you, you leave the Muslim faith, they call you an infidel, which is sort of the same thing. That's still not suppressing anything, though. You know, suppressing it would be if you were like disseminating misinformation or yeah. Like, well, uh, maybe maybe by leaving the church, you're, you're you're declaring that it was no, it was non valid. Say it was invalid. I don't know. It's a, it's a term. It's kind of whiny, isn't it? They come up with a lot of weird terms that don't seem to work in their favor. Like, they don't seem to be good at PR, that good at PR. Yeah. <laughs> like, like well, they come up with something better suppressive, but he's not allowed to talk to well, her. Well, their PR person makes a sack of grain per month, yeah, so right. that would kind of explain why they don't have the best talent. And zero beatings if they do good PR. Uh, well, here's a real point. So this is really obviously very cruel, especially when your dad's rich, when you got a gay rich dad. Banning your daughter. Think about how a daughter, especially a daughter, would be would love to have a gay rich dad. All the shopping trips, all the cool stuff you could do with your gay rich dad. That'd be pretty amazing. Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, and she doesn't know if he's gay or care. Probably no, probably not. But I mean, he's not going to like bring other ladies around, like embarrass you. He's probably going to not make you go fishing. <laughs> it's more like outlet, outlet. Let's go outlet shopping, like in Peru. It's some outlet. You know, I'm gonna fly you to Peru for some shopping trip. Yeah, or like climb a mountain or something. I think it'd be. And everyone says Tom Cruise is a nice guy, so I think he'd be a great gay dad for a girl. Uh, but here's the point: he's not allowed to talk to her for Scientology. He obviously clearly wasn't wasn't truthful about his first lawsuit about abandoning his daughter because that was clearly his intention all along, based on his church followings. So uh, Leah Remini this week outed J- Leah Remini, the former Scientologist, who's now making a living being a former Scientologist. Yeah, she has a TV show that's on <laughs> yes, its like yes. second season now, right? Yeah, second or third. I mean, it's going on. I don't know how much she can keep outing people. But- I don't know because Scientology is pretty fucked up. So she's had a lot of material so far. <laughs> yes, but it's the same show every week. Like, did you know? So you know, it's like and they did the, like she's just stringing it out because if you saw like the Going Clear documentary mm-hmm. that seemed to cover most of it yeah, yeah yeah like there's nothing fresh there's nothing fresh here the Sea Org shit the billion year stuff the, the, the lockdowns the suppressive stuff the holding the electronic batteries and, and becoming <laughs> becoming clear the money it's pretty weird though because I mean I feel like that documentary got a lot of attention her show gets a lot of attention but even in LA but especially outside of LA like people may have not even heard of Scientology, but no. they, they certainly don't understand all the fucked up shit they do. Maybe because they just don't care because we live in L.A. And, you it's know. just a weird L.A. shit. Unless someone gets killed, I don't think... And unless, unless it's like a mansion murder takes place, mm-hmm. where everyone gets like 10 people from Scientology get arrested for ripping a baby out of somebody, I don't think anyone's going to really care that much. Right. It's just not it's, not... it's no longer interesting to people. Plus, by the way, a lot of those people are, are in their own fundamentalist religions <laughs> that have a lot of weird rules and shit like that. Yeah, you so don't want to call the kettle black. No, exactly. So, so Leah Remini this week came out and, and fingered uh, Jada Pinkett Smith as a Scientologist, which I think, at least inside L.A., everyone sort of knew she was a Scientologist. She happened to start a Scientology school three years ago. Yeah, her and Will Smith are... Or gay Scientologists. <laughs> that seems to be a common thread, along with Travolta and everybody else. Uh, are you gay? Do you think you're a Scientologist first or gay first? I, I, you're gay yes. first, and then you're forced to continue your Scientology counseling. The interesting thing about Jada Pinkett, though, is, you know, whereas Travolta and Cruz and those people, her husband, Will Smith, you know, they, they actively try and uh, hide their, their gay characteristics. She acts like a pretty butch lesbian. 
I think she's talked about it openly, actually. Uh, not being a lesbian, but she's talked about having an open marriage with Will Smith. Uh-huh. She's actually mentioned that herself, like, firsthand. So I took it to mean that they're just sleeping with the same sex as other people with the same sex. They I mean, share a partner. Yeah. I mean, here's, here's the thing about open marriages. Uh, I don't think they're actually having, like, fun threesomes. I think that means they're sleeping with other people. And since you already assume rich celebrities are already sleeping with other people, when you make an announcement about it, to me, it just says same sex. Yeah, I think an actual open marriage would end with a lot of dudes getting clubbed to death yes. uh, in the in the bed of their wife. Well, if, uh, <laughs> you assume rich celebrities are just fucking around anyhow, because yeah. they all are. So when actually someone makes an annou- pronouncement about it, you assume there's something extra in there that's not being talked about. Right. And I, assume, I just assumed that was her having a girlfriend. Yeah, in fact, you know, his ex-wife, Will Smith's ex-wife, lived with them. I, she might still live with them for like 10 or 12 years. She lived at their home. That's, that's kind of strange. Yeah, that's very odd, unless you're having lots of lesbian sex with her. <laughs> she was probably pretty hot. Uh, so here's, but here's a question, actually. Is it cool to out people as Scientologists, or do you come down on the side of, like, personal life is personal life, and you shouldn't really out people for anything that's not criminal, that's not, you know, natively criminal? It's an interesting question. So I was thinking of what you can be outed as, right? Like, you can be outed as homosexual. Well, not anymore. Well, they still do it uh, if it's a Republican who has a history. Oh, the gay groups do it, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm cool with that because uh, I, I don't believe they'll do it if it's just someone's personal choice. But if the person's actually been an activist on the other side of it, okay. then I would say, yeah, out them. If you're a hip- obvious hypocrite. Yeah, exactly. And you're, and you're passing legislation. Right. And I think you can be outed for, like, shit you wrote on Twitter a long time ago or something. Uh, uh, when they find old posts. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think I'm good with outing someone as a Scientologist because it's a criminal organization. It's a real estate scam that's probably fucking with our property prices to some degree uh, because they're, you know, they bought everything up. Uh, it's, a, it's a tax scam because they're tax exempt because they're a, a, a religion. And so they're not paying all this revenue, which is billions and billions of dollars. And they're relying on slave labor. Uh, not to mention, you know, brainwashing, which I guess is hard to clarify, but they're not paying their employees to serve their interests. So, uh, but isn't that exactly the same as the Catholic Church, Catholic Church you just kind of described? Yeah, but yeah, but you, you don't really out people as Catholic. I'd be no. fine with that too. You know, someone is closetly uh, closet Catholic. You know, not eating uh, meat on Fridays. Yes, that nun over there, she's Catholic. <laughs> yeah, we should start outing Catholics. I feel kind of I, I I err on the side of it's kind of uncool to do. I mean, obviously, Jada Pinkett Smith has no trouble outing herself on things if she's talking about her open marriage and other shit like that. She started a Scientology school and didn't really hide it. So I don't think she's like that. I don't think you have to declare yourself. I mean, as, as lame as Scientology is and pro- potentially like amoral it is, I don't think you have to out yourself for shit you do in your private life if you're not hurting anybody. I mean, Tom Cruise is hurting his daughter, and that sucks. And you have to point out that's because of his religion because I think that's important for everyone to know that he's actually abandoned his like young daughter for his religion. Yeah, but, but if you're part of a, a group that is hurting people, and I would put the Catholics in that exact same boat, uh, you know, you are kind of doing something unethical by association. I mean, yeah, the, the Church so, yeah. of Scientology is like harassing people and intimidating people and scaring them and, and making threats against them. And ruining people's lives. But a lot of people get into it, just like other religions, when they're down and out and they're broke or they're sad or they're depressed and they're in a, drugs and they're a bad place in their life. 
So I don't necessarily blame. Yeah, these people probably would have had some issues regardless. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, like Tom Cruise. He's a leader. It's a little different than the average. Like the average Scientologist is probably just a mope who doesn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, I feel kind of bad outing them as like you know they're an evil type character for belonging. Uh, they're just stupid or ignorant or whatever it is. Or Leah Remini belonged for twenty years. I mean, that's the thing. Like, how smart? How smart are you? I mean, I know you're pointing everyone, figuring everyone now, but you're in it for twenty years as an adult. You made an adult decision every day of your life for twenty years to be in it. So, you know, that's true. But I guess her her stance would probably be that she didn't have well that there were barriers to exiting in terms of like her career and whatnot. Yeah, now um, she got a sweet show because she exited. She's suppressive <laughs> and she's making a fortune. She did pretty well. It is weird with her, though. Yeah, like what? I think if I think my rule would be if someone has you have to, this bullshit detector. Apparently, yeah. um, I don't know what was going on for most of your life. Well, for Leah Remini, yeah, yeah. Well, people leave. I mean, I, you know, people get caught up in shit. They leave. People are in bad sorts of relationships for long periods of time, or they work for evil companies for a long time, and they just kind of get out of it. Or it just stop benefiting her, or it stop benefiting for her, or they ask her for more money, and she's like, "Fuck this, fuck yeah. this." Like, well, you want two hundred fifty thousand now instead of the one hundred fifty thousand? Fuck that, I'm out of here. Um, and uh, by the way, a lot of people just stay in because they're embarrassed, right? Because they've invested so much money. And they don't want to admit they just gave away a million dollars for no reason. Yeah, well, that, and that's how they keep getting people to move up in the ranks because you never want to admit to yourself that you're fucking stupid. Yeah. So when you pay, I can't remember what the is like, Thetan level one or, or two or whatever it was, but you finally after you pay like two hundred fifty grand, they show you this document that's supposed to unlock all these secrets, and it's it's really just a paper that's scribbled in sort of gibberish. With more with like more marketing offers, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, since you're reading the Satan document, why don't you sign up for more classes for five grand a pop? It just makes me think there's some sort of like I don't, I don't when you say Illuminati, like uh, Jada Pinkett and Will Smith compared to actual wealthy people are fucking poverty stricken, but they obviously have a lot of money, and it's like why why do they keep promoting this thing if it's maybe you know they're afraid of being outed as gay. Maybe she's not, but I know, I'm sure Will Smith doesn't want that. Well, out I, would there. Assume, I would assume also the top level people in Scientology, like Cruz. Have you seen the, you've seen the production numbers they put together? He gets treated like a god. I mean, he's treated godlike in, within the organization. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty heady thing when you got like thousands of people, you know, basically loving you like a god. So there's something to be said for that, too. You're accepted, un, completely accepted by thousands of people as like a, you know, a figure, a, a godlike figure. And you live in some mansion, the top of, top of some mansion, and everyone reveres you, and you're within your own religion. Yeah, and I guess it could just be like they've blown so much smoke up your ass because, like Tom Cruise, and it, maybe it's just because he's you know fairly attractive. You bestow certain qualities onto him, but I think he seems like a nice enough guy. Like he doesn't seem like a total no. megalomaniac. No. Yet he's got these people polishing his motorcycles for for <laughs> two cents an hour, and that's really the life if you think about aren't you it. Like, where? How is, is this happening? Right isn't now? that where you want to be in life, though? Being <laughs> a guy, like a, basically a guy everyone thinks is really nice, and yet he has like slave labor. Like you're the you're the plantation owner everyone loves. That's where you want to be in life, as far as I'm concerned. Well, he's, yeah, he's attained that. If you can get, if you can get away with it, that's where you want to be. And like he won't. No one can talk to him about it. Like you have no idea what he's thinking, if anything, he, or, or he, if he thinks something that's the opposite of reality. He is the literal master of his domain. Like he is in total control of his domain. Right. So I don't know. Now, now I just feel now. Fuck you, Siri. I feel like your dad doesn't need to see. You. He's got the other shit going on. If he was, if he was, lit, if he was, he was one for me. He's one step away from God. Like if he was just banging models, then it would be perfect, <laughs> right? 
But the fact that he's like asexual or whatever and whatever is going on there, that just makes takes away from like I wouldn't want to be him. It's too bad. Did they even stop trying to give him fake girlfriends at this point? So he's not married or anything, right? No. Once in a while, they'll show after like after Katie Holmes' divorce, they started putting him together with a couple models for public appearances, right? But I think they gave up on that at this point. Yeah. So now he's just like the ripped fifty-four-year-old, the like, straight ripped fifty-five-year-old <laughs> divorce guy. Yes, for a three times divorce guy <laughs> with yeah. lots of adopt with lots of adopted children. And one biological child he refuses to see. <laughs> a, cute, a cute little girl for her. Matt, speaking of cute little kids, let's talk about rape. <laughs> I think it's time that uh, somebody made it. The, the word rape is like, I think like a thousand years ago, everyone knew exactly what it meant. And like up to like, say, even a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, everyone knew exactly what the word rape meant. Mm-hmm. And then the last like few decades, it's come to mean a whole bunch of things. And I think it behooves two guys to come up with the master definition of rape. Of rape. <laughs> like one definition we can use, because it's clearly become what uh, my high school, my high, uh, rest in peace, my high school teacher. Uh, do, you know what grow, do you know what growing up in San Francisco was like in high school? You lost all your English teachers to AIDS. That's, that's oh, what happened. I know. That's sad. It was really sad. My favorite teachers. It was like every year another teacher would go from AIDS. That's what life in San Francisco was like. Did they say that's what it was or did they just kind of go away? Uh, no, they were openly sick in class. Like, you know, it, took, it was the stages of HIV and AIDS was pretty, it was fairly rapid and yet not rapid enough, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. They were still teaching while they were in the process of dying. So that must uh, have cast sort of a, a gloomy vibe over the entire. Yeah, no, school. it was kind of like uh, you're going to put me in detention. Are you going to be here when I get out? <laughs> like, yeah, <it's> like <laughs> uh, no, actually, it was fairly. It was actually uh, uh, it was that gloomy, and also, and they were good teachers, by the way. So it is sad, but also kind of disgusting because they were also at least one of them was clearly showing signs of the disease physical signs of the disease, including uh, pustules and stuff about the face and neck mm. and stuff like that. So that was sort of, you didn't want to sit in the front row necessarily for that right. for that experience. Uh, but one of the things I always remember from my high school teacher was this idea of charge words, what he called charge words. And he was, he was uh, uh, black, and he would always say, like, nigger. Nigger's a charge word. You got to imagine if you're like a black high school teacher, you can say nigger. It's very empowering because mm-hmm. the white teachers can't say that. So you can say it if you're reading uh, from Huckleberry Finn or something. Uh, well, maybe back then you probably could. Today you'd be arrested and thrown out of school. <laughs> uh, they don't, in fact, they don't read Huckleberry Finn anymore. Um, they banned it from the banned it from the reading list. Um, but back then he would say like these are words. There are certain words you can say that are just there to like get a charge out of people. They have no meaning in and of, in and of itself, and they're used by he would say less intelligent people to get char- you know get a charge out. He called them charge words. So now, so it's like trolling sort of. Yeah, with word, but words, and so he say people took words that had tremendous meaning, like nigger or now rape or whatever, and that had you know when people yelled rape, people got their t- pitchforks and, and and killed somebody. So they're used to get a reaction out of now. They just use as a as a means of sparring, as a me- as like a pun, a, you know, a, a form of a, a lazy a lazy form of of you know debate, mm-hmm. basically to score a point. You know, it's a cheap way to score a point. It's like the, the like the uh, wrestling manager taking a chair over the guy's head when he's not looking in professional wrestling. <laughs> it's just a cheap shot. It has no meaning anymore. It's not a wrestling move. Hit someone over the head with a folding chair. Right. Um, so that's how rape is. I think rape now is like so. If any if any white person says something, no one likes to call them a racist, and that's like to shut them up. If any man says anything, they call it rape or rape culture or you're you know, misogynist or rape. Yeah. So I think it behooves us to actually get into the definition of rape, and this is based off that story. 
that I, I showed you earlier today, Scotty Nell Hughes. I don't, a girl shouldn't be named Scotty. That's just a problem for me in the begin, right off the bat. Hmm. You imagine having a girl, imagine having sex with a girl who had a very masculine name. Like Frank? Yes, like Frank. And you're like, at some point saying, oh, Frank, that feels so good. <laughs> that, just, that just strikes me as something that you would at least have to giggle when you said aloud. Uh, so Scotty Nell Hughes is a... Well, she works for CNN and Fox. She's a, contr- a, a commentator, one of those many long-haired, semi-attractive, long-haired blonde commentators on Fox. But they all work as contract employees. They're not, you know, they have a few employees who are all suing them currently for sexual harassment. And so they moved to, like, the freelance model, so they couldn't be sued for sexual harassment. And uh, she, Charles Payne, who, uh, as far as I can tell, is the only black employee of, Fo- of Fox... Right. He, he does the Fox. Uh, he's, he does Fox News regularly, but he's a Fox Business big guy in Fox Business, and he's like a stock analyst or something for the last thirty years. He's like their he's like their stock guy. Um, so Scott Nell Hughes claims that Scott Neil Hughes or Nell Hughes claims that Charles Payne a couple of years ago started prom- and Charles Payne is married by the way. Uh, not that that matters in terms of rape. Started uh, seeing her at a hotel room or whatever, and claiming that he would get her more gigs on Fox, more appearances, and potentially a full time contract if she would start sleeping with him. And now, you know, then it ended like whatever it was six months ago, a year ago. She is now suing him, claiming he raped her. And they've had sex presumably dozens of times at this point. Dozens of times. She's claiming it's non consensual, which would be rape technically, because. She was coerced. She was. Co- she, she claims she was coerced and intimidated into doing it. Which, by the way, that's possible. I mean, I'll grant you that she was definitely coerced. Money is a coercion, right? Mm-hmm. Money and job. If someone says, "I'm going to give you a sweet job if you have sex with me," that's coercion, right? Well, I don't know. It's, it's like not physical some, coercion, but it's like it's wouldn't coercion. it be coercion then to say if I pay you to do this job? Uh, isn't that coercion? I'll give well, you money to do something you don't want to do. Well, except this isn't a job. This is like I mean, this is not a straight streetwalker situation. This is like job situation, right? Where if a girl, if a woman's trying to get a job, and the man says like, "If you fuck me, I will get you this job," that's pretty coercive. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's worse than like a, you know the hookers out there trying to get money for sex. She was just trying to get a job. She made the, she ultimately made the trade, the commercial trade, to do that. I don't know. If it's I, I feel like it's but if it's voluntary. I mean, I guess it could be coercive in that she probably doesn't actually want to do it, but it seems almost like a just like a transaction. I mean, she didn't want to have sex with the, the big fat guy. I feel <laughs> like if he was threatening her, that would be coercion. But if he just laid it out on the table, I'm, I'm not sure if that is coercion or not. I think it's fraud. Isn't it fraud? I mean, this is fault. This is not. So here's the thing. But he didn't have the ability to get her the job. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, clearly. I mean, he probably put a word in for her. It's kind of like that thing where like, yeah, I'm fucking this chick. She wants a job. Uh, you think you can give her something? They're like, no. And he's like, are you sure? They're like, no. He's like, okay. It's like, hey, uh, I can't see you anymore. Like, uh, my boss, I try. My boss says I can't get you a job. Yeah, it's Sorry. like when your friend is banging some chick and he's like, hey, can you do that? It's like, you've been fucking her for a week. Like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not par- I'm not getting any. Yes. Well, why am I putting my reputation on the line? Well, so, she, so here's the word. She used the word rape. And so she's suing civilly. She's suing Fox News. I guess Payne doesn't have enough money. She's suing Fox News because they claim, she claims that not only did Charles Payne rape her, and she used the word rape several times uh, in this deal. And again, I would consider it fraud, which is that he offered her cash or cash equivalent in the form of a paid contract for sex. She didn't want to, but she agreed to do it like pretty woman. And then later she's calling it rape. And I'm sure the feminists, by the way, agree that it's rape. 
And then she also claims that Fox News, after they found out about this, this affair, uh, blacklisted her and just wouldn't put her on the air anymore. And they didn't want anything to do. They didn't want to hire her anymore, which as bad as Fox News is, and we all kind of hate Fox News, if you ran a company and you found out that some chick was fucking a guy at your company to try and get a job at your company... You probably wouldn't want to hire her. You probably wouldn't want to hire her after that. You probably would blacklist her. It doesn't her. really uh, portray you as a real quality individual, does it? No. It portrays you as a sort of, we'll do anything to get hired, including fucking Charles Payne. Right. <laughs> so we probably should. And, and, and by the way, we're undergoing 10 sexual harassment suits right now. Probably not the person we want to hire around here at the moment. No. So, But here's the thing. So we're, since you and I are the definitive source now of the definition of rape, uh, what is rape to you, Matt? Uh, as you have known, as you have known in your life, say unwanted uh, sexual, um, anything sexual that's not uh, consensual. Does that have to be physically forced? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe if you Jedi mind trick someone who's mentally not all there, you know, I would say that would still count. But if two people are well within their wits, and by the way, she continues the relationship in a consensual manner. Um, I, I don't see what that would count as. I mean, I, I think it should be called something. What about in, like, say, because this goes on, say, like, in some crappy country in the Middle East where some woman's broke ass, has no money to feed her kids, and some, one of the guys comes along and says, like, if you, if you let me fuck you regularly, I'll get food for your kids. That happens all the time in every society known to man. <laughs> well, I'm just going to Middle East so I don't feel so bad about it. Is that rape? <laughs> no. No. No, no, that's just a deal. It, 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 you're taking, you're clearly taking advantage of uh, of somebody. Yeah, but she, it, it, it's agreed to. I mean, it's just, it's part of the, it's part of the deal. I mean, do you think uh, the 25 year old chick wants to be fucking the 60 year old dude with the convertible? No, but she's agreed that it's worth it if she gets uh, to stay in the. Uh, Are you referring to almost everyone you know in Hollywood right now? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's everyone I know. Yeah. There's a, yes, I mean, there is. We're going to talk about Ariel Winter a little bit. There are a lot of deals with the devil that women especially have to make in this town or any town, especially when you want to be on TV. Uh, there's lots of, well, I wouldn't say there's lots of worse things than having to have sex with Charles Payne, because I don't know if you've seen him. He's not a particularly, tra- <laughs> particularly attractive fella. Kind of, kind of portly and, and sort of uh, ungainly looking. He's a financial analyst for Fox News. I mean, yeah, I think well, that says a lot. When you think about like Roger Ailes and all these guys and whatever else, these are not like it's not like you're uh, John Hamm and like in Mad Men offering you know trying to have sex with you at the office. These are the tr- these are the, the ogres of the office, right? So it was pretty. Just assume she didn't. Just assume she didn't enjoy it. There was a. It's it's pretty similar to this. I can't remember the woman's name now, but she was a student at Stanford. And she began uh, fucking her professor, yes. who was an adjunct professor, who was actually like this billionaire Silicon tech Valley guy. Silicon Valley tech guy, yeah. And now she, uh, she sued him, claiming that every time they had sex, this is a, a relationship that lasted a couple of years, and she, uh, she's got love letters from him to her, and she claimed that every time they had sex, it was rape because... Um, he was lying? He, no, just that he, due to his power and his stature, he like duped her into thinking it was a good idea to fuck him i mean that's really what the case is well what about what about uh in rape definitions what about if you lie about who you are because i know you've you've talked about this before i mean i think everyone has done that every guy has done that to some degree um certainly exaggerated how important he is or what what his job entails I mean, so if, if you're talking to some chick and you work answering phones at Pizza Hut 
And she says, what do you do? And you say, I'm a telecommunications engineer. Is that lying? It's certainly being a little bit uh, disingenuous, right? Well, you've wanted to put people who have herpes in, in like uh, stockades, rounded up and shot. You don't <laughs> tell the women. I was wondering where you're lying. I'm just wondering where you're lying. So, I mean, so if a guy lie, he gets a lot of lie. Guys a lot of lie, or women a lot of lie to have to get laid. Well, I mean, I mean, this is what Charles Payne clearly did. He clearly lied to her, or at least he pre- pretended he was going to get her some gigs. Yeah, he pretended he had more influence than he could, unless he thought it would actually work that he could actually get her some gigs, but I, I doubt that's true. I think this, the problem with, here's the problem I see with rape culture and call everything rape, the femi- what the feminists do, which is it totally belies the fact they want to be treated the same as men. So if this was a, man, if this was a female anchor and a guy trying to get on the show, it would be laughed. Be a laugh, this guy would be the laughing stock, right? If he was fucking like, you know, uh, Megan, whatever, Megan Kelly to get a job, yeah. Or even an unattractive female. They, they don't have an unattractive female as a fox. But even an unattractive female executive fox to get more time on the air, and then he sued her for rape, he'd be laughed by every, roundly by everybody. Yeah, and the feminists would refer to her as a strong, powerful woman who got what she wanted out of him, yes. which was sex. And now he's this pathetic loser uh, who can't even get a gig uh, because he doesn't want to work at it. Right, so in this case, you have to look, to consider this rape, you'd have to consider the woman not able to make adult decisions for herself. Yeah. That she was... Because she's a woman, she and this is a college-educated woman, because she's a woman, she's unable to make smart, intelligent adult decisions. And by the way, I think she has a case for fraud. If the guy promised her 200 grand in value to have sex for a year and then he didn't give her the deliver, I'd sue, I'd sue civilly. And if I was on the jury, I'd give her the money if he, made that, if he specifically made that promise. Well, it depends. I would say it depends if he made a good-faith effort to actually follow through. Yeah, but if you like, if as far as I'm concerned, for sex work, which should be legal, if you hire an escort for a year and say you're going to pay her 200 grand to be your your chick for a year, and then you don't pay her at the end of the year, she should sue you. She could sue you for the for the wages that she had earned. Yeah. So in that case, there is there's some. This is called fraud. It's not rape. So I think we've narrowed down the definition of rape. I'm going to go with like the guy with the club, like a caveman with a club who beats a woman <laughs> and then and then hold her down and, ra- and hold her down and rape her, like the accused. The accused, the, 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 the backroom scene, the accused, I'm willing to call rape. Yeah, well, I think the feminists, so their definition, which, like, like you just said, it paints women as uh, sort of weak and uh, prone to flights of emotion and not, not able to be responsible for their own actions. Uh, you know, I think they would understand and probably do understand that that creates a double standard. And, you know, while, while that double standard is not equality, they also understand that they now have this power to try and force people out of different places if they feel like it just by levying this accusation. And when you make the definition that much more broad, yes. you know, in theory, you could stage some kind of coup uh, at any sort of office or, or institution that you wanted to, especially uh, when there's no fucking due process in the trial, like at a university or something. Uh, you totally could. I mean, I think that's a weapon. It's a, we- it's a weapon that women have. I'm not saying most would use it. They'd have to be pretty low, low to use it, but this woman's using it. So I don't feel bad for Charles Payne. He clearly seems like he fucked, her, fucked her around. <laughs> Although Fox News did an investigation, by the way, and among things, and they fired a ton of people recently for everything. That guy, that guy, I, God, that's so sad. Not for, that guy, Eric Bowling, he was a Fox News anchor, commentator. Mm-hmm. So he got fired. This is a sad story, not about him, but his son. He got fired because, like, six years earlier, he sent a dick pic around to somebody as a joke. Yeah. And not, not like to ladies, like, check out my dick, but to some whatever. It was like, he did a selfie of his fucking crotch and sent it to some guy as a joke. Uh-huh. And then it, you know, was on the server or whatever. So he got, 
six years later, someone reported him for it. He got fired, which is okay. I mean, that seems kind of lame, but, you know, he did set his dick pic around. Wouldn't which, that be like... Uh, on the person that shared it, though, if he sent it to a friend and they shared it, well, isn't that I did like on the office revenge email. porn or you something? Well, did on the office email, and you're not allowed to send sexually suggested pictures. And so he violated rules, I'm sure corporate rules. So he got fired, which, I mean, I, don't, I never feel bad if people get in trouble for sending dick pics around, because I just don't understand adult males who do that, even as a joke. It just doesn't seem to make sense. you got to have been, like, drunk in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, probably. no one, like, in their right mind would do that. And by the way, six years ago, the Fox News, I assume, was just a fraternity house. So it was probably, like... There was, this was before all the sexual harassment suits when people got wise to the fact they couldn't do this. I'm sure it went on all the time. Uh, but then his, uh, after he got fired and he was like out in HuffPo and all these people wrote these stories about him like sexually harassing the office place and shit like that with his dick pic, uh, his son killed himself. He was like 20 years old. Because his dad took No, I'm sure the kid was, had troubles to begin with. But like two, hour, two hours after his dad was officially fired by Fox and the stories came out, his son killed himself. Wow. Yeah. So there's your, there's your dick cost of dick pick. That's pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm assuming the kid was not a stable kid to begin with, but he was like 20 in college and stuff like that. So uh, why, would he, uh, why would he care that much? I think it's kind of funny, actually. Uh, well, uh, maybe, maybe just the, either. The, I'm sure the kid was, had some troubles to begin with, obviously. But uh, here's the thing. So the guy gets fired. He has to go in for the official firing. All the cameras fall him out and stuff like that. On his way home, he gets a phone call. His son's killed himself. Maybe everyone found out like at his college at his liberal college that his dad was a fox employee <laughs> i think they do that and he was like i'm ruined you know yeah that's possible um <sighs> rape is done brian lock that up put that in the smithsonian <laughs> under bad luck discuss rape Matt, I know you always call whitewashing in Hollywood. You're a big one of those big whitewashing guys on Twitter. When someone not from the appropriate ethnic origin gets cast in a role, an iconic role such as Major Ben Daimo of Hellboy. We all know Major Ben. It might uh, be Captain Ben. Captain. <laughs> I don't know. So not Hellboy, obviously. There, no, not Hellboy. That was uh, Ron Perlman played Hellboy in the original film. And original, I mean 10 years ago because they're rebooting it again already. Mm-hmm. You gotta have a, well, I feel like there should be at least a 25-year period between reboots. Like, rebooting a film that just came out a few years ago seems completely unnecessary. Yeah. More so than, like, taking a film from the 40s and redoing it. Yeah, particularly, I don't, I don't remember Hellboy making a huge splash the first time around. No, but it's a comic book, and anything comic books can get another movie made about it in Hollywood now. Uh, so Ed Scrain was supposed to play, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. Uh, he's a British actor. Of course, he played American roles all the time on American TV. He was supposed to play Major Ben Daimo. Uh, and by the way, Ben, to me, seems like the most quintessential British name you can have. <laughs> so it wasn't that far-fetched. But it, the character is supposed to be Japanese-American, I guess, specifically as mentioned in the comic book. So maybe like half Japanese or something? Uh, no, just ja- Japanese born in America. Japanese oh, born like in America. a Japanese-American. Yes. Okay. Not half Jap, half American. Gotcha. Uh, so he, he got a lot of pressure for being whitewashed into the role. Whitewashed meaning anytime a Caucasian gets a role that's not specifically labeled as Caucasian in the underlying material. Which is, you and I both agree, it seems to be fairly idiotic <laughs> when, it comes to act, when it comes to acting. Yeah, I think acting, you should be able to play whatever you want. Yeah, you're an actor. You, you play, you, the whole idea of acting is you play someone not yourself. No, if it's done distastefully, like Amos and Andrew, I, I get that complaint. Well, that's done for racial purposes. But the British actors, as far as I can tell until about, well, still now, British actors play every single ethnic minority ever in movies. 
Yeah. Like, all the Nazis and all the Nazi films are British. All the Russians in movies are British. All the Middle Eastern Lawrence Arabia people are all, Brit- they're all British actors. Uh, you know, they had, in the, in the United States, all the Indians were Indians in the old Cowboy Indian movies were all Mexican guys. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's just, Hollywood's kind of done what they had to do to get the people in the right place. And the people got typecast. The British got typecast as Romans and Spartacus and all that kind of crap. Even though those guys are clearly Mediterranean Italian and don't look anything like British people, right. um, so so Ed Scrain had to resign. He resigned from the role of, of uh, Ben Daimo, Major Ben Daimo. Well, uh, he didn't. Uh, did he have to, or did it seem no, like he, he did it voluntarily? To, he voluntarily resigned. Well, let's say if there, if the issue wasn't raised, he went to resign. It's a sweet comic book roles are pretty sweet gigs because they go on forever, mm-hmm. and you make a nice paycheck forever because they have big budgets. So let's say you turned out a million bucks or so to be, uh, you know, for eight weeks of filming of Hellboy. Um, and they gave the role instead to Daniel Day Kim, uh, the Korean-American actor who was on Hawaii Five-0 until he quit Hawaii Five-0 because he claimed he wasn't paid as much as the Caucasian actors, who happened to be the lead actors. He was not a lead actor. Nevertheless, <laughs> here's how bad, here's how dumb whitewashing is these days where it could mean anything. So Daniel Day Kim is of Korean descent, and he's picked to play a Japanese, of Japanese descent character. And then he has to say how this is the right move because it's time Asian characters were played by Asian actors. Or, he also said, or Asian-American actors who slipped in. <laughs> now, Matt, let me ask you, isn't that just as, if not more racist, to assume that all Asians can play other Asian, can play other Asian countries? That simply because you're Korean, you're more equipped to play Japanese than a British person? Isn't that just based on the fact you looked more Japanese to, to the gaijin? <laughs> yeah, it's totally racist. I mean... Uh, even to complain about it, I think, because that, that's like saying that there are no cultural differences between different Asian cultures. I mean, not to mention the history of Korea, Japan, China. They all killed each other and enslaved each other. They all hate each other. They're like U.S., Mexico, whatever. So, I mean, they're all like any countries that border each other. They hate each other mostly. Yeah, so I, I guess to uh, if you work for a studio, you think that Japan and Korea are the same thing because, you know, they're sort of similar in that they're, they're Asian. I don't, uh, know, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know that they actually think that. I think it's, they think they can get away with that. Right. Like, they think that's going to stop. And it did. It stopped all the whitewashing complainers stopped when they hired a Korean to play a Japanese dude. And even the Korean actor himself, who's supposedly an activist in his area, says, you know, any Asian could, basically any Asian could play any Asian. As long as it's an Asian, we're cool. Which is so fucking racist. So fucking racist. It's just like, that's as racist as saying only British guys can play Japanese guys. It is racist. Um, and I, I don't think that initially it was racist, but I would say it's weird that they wanted a British guy to play a guy named, uh, with an obviously Japanese name. Well, he was in the comic, he's clearly a Japanese-American character. He's listed as Japanese-American. In the, in the, he's described that way and written that way. Yeah. So it is a Japanese-American character. Yet, you know, they're, they're, you know they have... I'm not saying it's racist, but isn't it kind of like odd casting choice? Well, they, they uh, yes. Also, Screen has been in like other comic book movies. He's got that face. They just want to have him in the movies. He's recognizable. Mm-hmm. He's in the movie. He's in the movie Daredevil with Ryan Reynolds. So they just you know they if you notice in these comic movies they rehash a lot of the, the character actors because they just kind of look like comic book comic book guys which be right. comic book movies either bad guys or good guys they just kind of have that look and they didn't really think about Kim and yes they probably do lean towards let's face it British actors basically get eighty percent of roles anywhere. Even in American television? 
Yeah. Even just replacing other white Americans, they replace other white Americans. For some reason, studios just love to hire British actors. So, but that's a different matter. That has nothing to do with race. That has nothing to do with race. Right. Well, it also could be that, I mean, their culture, uh, and I know, like, Korea has a pretty good film uh, industry with history to it, but certain cultures maybe just don't value uh, acting as much or maybe aren't as encouraging as getting their kids into acting, probably for really good reason. Um, But also when you look at British TV, I mean, first of all, they love the theater over there. Yes. And their TV is so trashy and government-funded fucking (laughs) cheap dog shit that all their TV shows are basically plays. Yeah. Um, So maybe they just turn out to be better actors just based on their cultural upbringing. They all do. I'll say this for the actors in England. You have to be sort of trained. Like, they don't have, like, they don't just turn their, like, pop singers into actors. Yeah. They don't turn, like, their hot Instagram models into actors. You were kind of like, it is very old school aristocratic there where you have to go to like one of the fine, you know, thespian schools in order to become an actor. You know, they're not, they're not like taking people, hot people off the street and say, hey, can you read some lines to be in this major movie like in America? Yeah. It's like, oh, you got a hit single? Oh, the, you know, you're, uh, you're on Dr. Phil. Let's put you in a movie. Let's put you in a movie. <laughs> uh, but this is so, I mean, this is what bothers me. And then no one, so they call out the whitewashing, the racism of hiring a British act, casting a British actor in the role of Japanese American, but not a single person other than ourselves and Brian occasionally, will point out the fact that hiring a, a Korean guy to play a Japanese guy is just as, if not more, racist, and nobody will say a single word about it. Yeah, not, not even the Koreans. No, the Korean got the gig. He's going to say whatever the fuck he has to say. He's like, yeah, all Asians got to be played by Asians. This is a great day for Asian history. I'm like, Asian history? What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's like saying North American history. Again, it'd be the same as if you said only Americans could play a Mexican role because they're of the same continent. It just doesn't. It, it, what he's basically saying is, you white guys won't know the difference because we all look the same to you, and therefore, as long as you get an Asian-looking dude, he should play the role. Yeah, it's it's lame, and uh, I don't get why it would only apply to this one group. Or maybe you know, you probably can't really play a black person at this point if you're white. But I don't know. Everything else seems to be fair game. If I was a Japanese American, I'd be pissed. Pretty soon, I would too. And pretty soon, they're not going to, uh, like on Saturday Night Live, you're not going to be able to play a woman if you're a man or, or vice versa. Yeah. Although probably a, a woman uh, could, play a, man, could yeah. play a man. They wouldn't care about that. But yeah. you can't play a, yeah. Um, I think this is just daily like Kim getting excited about the fact he's just getting a big fat fucking paycheck to be an Hellboy. <laughs> Saying what he needs to say to make that happen. It's just, it bothers me to know when that people will not point out reverse racism. When there's racism in the other direction, it just never, people just will not say it. And well, what, uh, people are smart enough. To, we're not the only people to figure out that hiring a Korean to play a Japanese guy is racist. Right. So everyone knows it. They're just not, no one's, no one's willing to say it. Why didn't they just change the character's name? I mean, does he have like a gong and he wears a fucking <laughs> I don't know. samurai sword around? Like, I don't know. What's from a When they're from source material, it's a little hard to get away with changing the characters. Yeah. And it's not only from a written source material, it's from a graphic novel source material, so there's actually visual images of the person. Okay. Maybe he does have a fucking samurai sword and a gong. I don't know. Now we got an email from Evan about Ariel Winter, now that you finally know who she is. She's 19. She's of age. I can see you two dating. Uh, uh, I'm not that into huge breasts. Uh, yeah, she's kind of, she's still, I still call her kind of chubby. Uh, so everyone, so Arrow Winter's mom tried to turn her into a little show ho, showy <laughs> ho cake, showy ho cake at 12 to get, in ho- in, get ahead in Hollywood, and it worked. Why is everybody complaining now that it's over? 
So Ariel Winter did an interview with Hollywood Reporter. I'm not sure whether they're speaking to her. Um, talking about she's 19 now, but when she was 12, her mom, her total stage mom, would dress her like in mini skirts and low cut tops. She was early, early develop, developed very early as a girl. Mm-hmm. So at 12, she had breasts, and so she would put her in these low cut tight tops and take her out to these Hollywood parties till like two in the morning, trying to get her notice at at 12 and 13 years of age. Uh, and everyone, and she's writing about this like how she called herself being sexualized at an early age. Basically, called it tantamount to rape. What kind of parties are these? Like house parties, <laughs> no. cocktail parties? Not the parties you go to. <laughs> I don't. I see these. I see these teenage girls, like the you know, the, like the celebrity girls, going to like nightclubs a lot in Hollywood. Yeah. Somehow they're getting in like at sixteen into these clubs. So at twelve or thirteen, she's probably going to Hollywood Hills parties by producers and shit like that. So I mean, she was up and coming. She was signed, signed to you know getting the, the gig on Modern. With her family. mom though, her mom's not like dropping her off at the party, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I suppose with her mom, but like, I mean, twelve. She said she was twelve. And How she could was... you even function? Like, what? What do you have to? Can you hold a conversation with an adult who's on cocaine when you're twelve? Yeah, when you're twelve and you're developed and you're wearing a miniskirt to look on top, you're, you're there to attract one type of person, <laughs> just one type. R. Kelly and maybe a couple and some other Hollywood producers. Yeah. But here's the thing: so she's complaining about it now. Later on, she got emancipated from her mom, claiming abuse and stuff like that of this nature, which seems pretty abusive. But here's the point: she's 19, and it seems like mom's plan completely worked. So she got the got she got the gig on Modern Family, which has been going on still for like seven years now. She's got money and residuals up the wazoo. She's got four million social media followers because of the show and because of her fame and her breasts now. Uh, she's doing whatever she wants to do. She lives in like a sweet house that she bought herself in the Hollywood Hills with her, her boyfriend, stuff like that. Isn't mom, isn't the, 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 the disenfranchised mom, the emancipated mom sitting somewhere going like, what? I don't know why you're so angry. This was the plan all along. We were like, <laughs> this was our plan and it worked. It totally worked. Everything we wanted. What you got, you know, and you know, I don't know how much involved she was with the Planet Twelve, but this is the Hollywood girl. This is the Hollywood casting plan. This is what people bring their kids to Hollywood for. Exactly this, and she succeeded really as much or more than anybody else in this town. So you're saying the mom got her the gig on Modern Family by bringing her out to parties and clubs. She turned her into a presence, like a known presence in Hollywood, and somebody saw that she was. They could cast a young girl in this TV show who had big breasts and was was would add to this TV show somehow, and it worked. So she, I'm not saying that's the only reason she got the job. Maybe she's a great actress. I have only seen her in a few things, and she doesn't seem to be that great. But clearly her mom turned her into a thing, and she got the gig, and she got the money. She got the lockdown network residuals for forever. She got the sweet house. She got the sweet car. She's dressing like she wants to in her low-cut outfit still to this day. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's gross what her mom did to her at 12, but that's, isn't that the Hollywood mission? Isn't that what everyone he- is here for? Uh, I don't know. I, I, when you bring your little kid here, I mean. Right, oh, right, right. Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, obviously she's kind of pissed about it because I think to emancipate yourself, unless it was financially motivated, I, I don't think that's that easy of a process. Um, she was the mom was a abu- mom was a stage mom abusive. I mean, I don't know that she actually beat her, but she was she was she would comment on her weight all the time. She'd make her feel shitty. She would like f- you know force her to do things she didn't want to do. Well, do you think the mom uh, advised her of what was going on? Like, we're going to parade you around in these outfits, but you know that'll help you get seen by this casting. Yes, person. I do. I do think that exactly. And not that the twelve year old can make a decision at that twelve. 
But right. I think you do. I've seen. Have you been to Toluca Lake, there, uh, that area, during the casting season? Yeah. With all the little girls and the boys there and the, and the stage parents trying to get their kids into, into, into TV Disney? Yeah. It's sick, dude. I mean, it's like a fucking, it's like a meat market for, it's like a middle school slave market. You want to talk about like a modern day slave market? That's like preening and showing off and like, you know, these like obnoxious kids brought from Florida. They're always from Florida for some reason. Of course. <laughs> Trying to become. And then if you hit the jackpot, by the way, you become this chick or Bella Thorne or someone else who doesn't seem to have that much talent, but just makes a which makes bank, you know. And that's and the family. Li- and the, Miley Cyrus takes care of like 20 family members. And that's the whole that's the whole thing. So it's like it's like playing the lottery and you've got to put your kid out there in a miniskirt at 12 to win the lottery. Yeah, I mean, 12 just, I guess the to me the kind of perverse thing about it is, I don't know if when she was 12, maybe, you know, people at this at these parties thought she was 17 or something. You, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Well, as she said, people did think she was older. I mean, she was developed. But she said she's, people thought she was in her 20s. Although that seems like something a pedophile would say to a 12-year-old girl to make her feel special. Yeah, that sounds a little... Like, where do you go to college? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, you know, what? You think I'm in college? Oh, like, you know. That seems a little dubious. I I remember uh, Drew Barrymore going to cocktail parties at nine. That was her her story. So she just came from that Hollywood family, and she would just go get drinks and go out to these nighttime parties. I mean, half the chicks I know that are in their mid-20s can't even handle their liquor. What's a nine-year-old doing? Well, she was an alcoholic by 11, so there's (laughs) that. But here's here's how I turn your question, Evan. I see the mom as the victim here. She's cut out of everything. The mom got nothing, and she's like, you know, she's sort of like, think about like a sinister coach or something like, like a Belichick, maybe someone a little more sinister. Who maybe bends the rules a little bit, but then wins a lot of championships, mm-hmm. and then later on, everyone like scapegoats that person because you know they have to find a scapegoat when the when the bad news comes out. Right. But everyone's kind of going like you know like a you know like a college basketball coach who was doing illegal recruiting, and they won a lot of championships, <laughs> and then later on they have to like everyone has to politically correct out him and fire him because he like hired hookers for the recruits or something. Yeah, but that's deep true. down the alumni are going like, "Yeah, dude, you, you scored." She took the fall for a lot of people on that. Yeah, exactly. But what is the mom doing when the kids hanging out? Like, no one wants to hang out with some mom, or does the mom pretend she's like the older, less attractive friend, or the sister, or something like that? I don't know. It's creepy. The whole thing's creepy. But I don't think people. I think people not in not in this town don't understand that this is the norm. That this goes on all the time. And you can go back to the stories of like, like Corey Haim and Corey Feldman being raped. You know as kids are being put on Michael Jackson's lap at nine years old or shit like that. This casting, like, young kid sexualized stuff has been going on forever and ever, and it is completely, un- it goes on completely unabated to this day. And there's books that come out about it, and people write about it, and no one seems to give a shit, because at the end of the day, you need 12-year-olds on TV. So Yeah, and, and you hear a lot about the, the boys being abused because for whatever reason, well, I don't want to go there, but, you know. Anally uh, raped. <laughs> Like, not that it's good, obviously, but uh, not that either is excusable, but you, you don't really hear that much about the young girls being physically assaulted like you do with uh, the Corey Feldmans of the world. I have a theory on that. I think one is that uh, more of the pedophiles tend to be, guy, tend to be same-sex guy, guys on boys. Yeah. And I can't back that up with any science, but I'm sticking with it. Well, that was going to be my theory. I just... I didn't want to go on record with that. Yeah, no, Matt said that. And then uh, my other theory is that if you bring out a 12-year-old girl like in a low-cut, low-slung top and a miniskirt like that, everyone knows right away she's jailbait. Oh, yeah. And it's, you couldn't possibly get within 10 feet of her without everyone reporting on you. Uh, yeah, I would also think all the women especially would be like you know privy to that situation and keep keeping an eye out on the... 
on the girl. You they know? would tell on you right away, and you couldn't really hit. I mean, if you if you're a guy and you got within like ten feet of that girl, people would be like talking shit about you. So it'd be like it's too it's like too obvious. Yeah. So if you if you notice, it's usually the boy and the boys. By the way, are usually these very quiet boys and stuff like that. Even the girls who end up getting they're targets. The girls who are very actually outgoing and, and out there are usually not the ones who are assaulted. It's usually the quiet, shy kids who don't you know aren't obvious and won't tell and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The ones who make themselves sort of into victim status. So the girl, like the girl with the stage mom who's putting her out there like a pimp is probably protected from that to some, ex- to some extent. Right. She's more, she's more of a, show, a, window, dra- a window piece <laughs> or a show piece. Uh, that's horrible, but I, I feel bad. For Chris- uh, by the way, as uh, uh, one of my friends pointed out, her mom's name is Crystal. Nothing good comes of a mom named Crystal. <laughs> just, there's just no good mom named Crystal. That's just a bad, you got a bad draw. You got a bad draw on life if your mom named Crystal. <laughs> All right, for our final uh, segment today, Matt, I want to talk about Jamie King. Uh, I know you like anorexic women. You like to she feel was a bone. smoking hot in uh, Deep Blue Sea. Pretty good, bad movie. Was she in Deep Blue Sea? Yeah, she was the uh, doctor, hot doctor. Really? I think. No, different, wrong Maybe actress. I've been wrong about this before. Yeah, you've been wrong. That's uh, the British actress. I forget her name. Either way, she's, she is attractive. She, she was in uh, one of the Poison Ivy movies, like Poison Ivy 3. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Non-nude role in Poison Ivy 3. She was in a bikini taunting an older man through the movie. She's certainly verging on too thin at this point. Yeah, she became in her... That was like when she was 19. And then through her 20s, she just stopped eating. And that's been known to cause weight loss. But doesn't she have like fucking like five children or some no, shit? No, she had... She married... She, had some, she has a saga of like four years trying to get pregnant. Uh-huh. Which may be because she weighs 70 pounds. <laughs> so, there's, one, there's one thing nature works against you is if you're a woman who doesn't eat. Nature really doesn't want you to be pregnant and carry a child. Right. There's just something about that. Like, like even animals in the wild, when they're, when they're in scarce years of food, will not reproduce because nature sort of knows there's not enough food for you, let alone a child. Yeah. So when you start starving yourself and eating like a piece of lettuce a day, just, just God will not let you take a, take a, child, take a child on. Uh, but anyhow, so she's completely, I'm not going to call her an extra because that's a medical diagnosis. She is skinny beyond the point of, uh, to the point of being gross, grotesque. Um, and it's a thing where she doesn't hide it so much. Like she wears like the sleeveless, outfits and stuff and her arms are just super bony and like no meat on them whatsoever right pretty foul but here's what I like about Jamie King uh, she actually came out this week and she defended size zero models who better first of all who in this day and age would defend a size zero model which are the models that Europe has declared are too skinny to be healthy to, enough to walk down a runway <laughs> like they've outlawed them they really work for many decades these are like the anorexic models of, of years past can't you be a size zero if no. you're not like six feet tall and be? Oh yeah, she is very thin. Yeah, yeah. She's she's gaunt. Her face is gone. Her arms are gone. Even when she was pregnant, she didn't look pregnant. That's weird. Women are pregnant and they still look skinny. She's so she's not employed as a model really anymore. She just goes on Instagram and complains about the. the yeah, mate. she t- she works. She was on a show not too long ago. She still gets TV work, but uh, she's attractive in the face. Let's say. Um, but she said she was defending size zero models because they were outlawed at New York Fashion Week. They weren't allowed to walk. And then she's saying, well, wait a minute. What is the difference between a size zero model and a size big and large lady, plus size model, an obese model or have, o- overweight model? Isn't that also unseemly and unhealthy and all these other things? I'm like, yeah, isn't that right? <laughs> isn't that right? She, it's kind of gross to have an anorexic woman defending other anorexic women. <laughs> but isn't she completely right? Isn't it the, just on the other end of the polar opposite, but the exact same argument? Yeah, it's a good point because I, I think the argument of not allowing the 
skinnier model, the very skinny, too skinny models is, you know, it sets a bad example and you're celebrate, you're encouraging them to be unhealthy and to essentially jeopardize their health. Yes. And so if you're going to start hiring plus size models, and I'm not talking, you know, the, the Serena Williams of the world, but the, the morbidly obese women of the world and, and celebrate them and say, well, they can do everything that we can do too. Uh, you're doing the exact same thing. You're encouraging something that's detrimental to your to one's health and you're and you're actually celebrating it i'm not sure the thin models were ever really celebrated i mean they got work and they well uh, it wasn't there it wasn't that they're they, people were like oh look how skinny she is she's amazing right they weren't celebrated for being so thin but they had to be like all the supermodels had to be gaunt you had to be gone to get jobs yeah so they're celebrated in the sense that they look like they look like hangers work yes but uh with the fat women it's like bravo you know what way to go you're you're a hero and and it's it's really the exact the exact same thing you're in, you're encouraging a really unhealthy behavior since rewarding you, it since you mentioned Serena Williams I have to do this mention this on the side she had her baby and you know what she named her baby no she named her baby after her husband Alexis Alexis Ohanian she named the baby uh, it was a girl and she named him Junior Alexis uh, Junior Ohanian no way Jr. really yes so yeah. they're into some weird shit. <laughs> There's some, and that's just to me. I don't know what weird shit they're into, but that to me is like her trying way too hard to be female empowering by saying, "I'm going to have a girl. I'm going to name him after the dad and call him Junior." Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying they're like perverts or anything. I'm just oh, no, saying they're probably perverts too. But they're, <laughs> they're they're going yeah really far with this feminist uh, yes. peacocking. Yes, that is complete peacocking of the feminist example, which is like. And by the way, the Junior thing, all the stuff we can all admit is pretty stupid. But by by taking that by giving the girl the father's name and saying Junior. You're just forcing it in the, in the face of how much attention you want for yourself. For yourself, not to mention, like, regardless of what weirdo school you send your kids to, someone's going to make fun of her at some point for being the junior of the dad. Yes. You know. Yes, with the dad's name. Uh, uh, getting back to skinny Jamie King, uh, and I know you love skinny women, so I'm going to be very, very... I love how with the feminism now, because I always thought naming your kid junior if you're a guy was yeah. stupid because yes. it's confusing... And it shows a lack of imagination. It's like or a thousand-year-old tradition. Progress. So, like, instead of being like, why don't we uh, phase out that sort of retarded ritual, it's like, no, we'll be just as retarded on the other side. You know, that it's, always bothers me. It's, it's a clear and obvious statement that she didn't want any comments on. <laughs> that was the oh. thing. All right, let me finish up on Jamie King because I think that we need to set models between, uh, what, size 2 and size uh, 8? So it seems like it seems like a, a good range. Sounds about right. That seems like, like if, you can't get, if you can't get up to 2 or down to 8... Maybe you shouldn't be modeling. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's like if you said only twos, that might be much. But two to eight seems like eight seems like a fairly normal body type. So obviously, so you cut it off around like Ronda Rousey. Yeah, well, before Ronda Rousey, <laughs> I cut it off before that. But there's no reason why a business entirely based on superficial looks and your ability to make clothing look good should not be based on how your body looks. To me, so if you're going to cut off, I agree with Jamie Kim. If you're cutting off the, the anorexic women about to pass out. Then you got to cut off the uh, really heavy set women also about to pass out for walking, for walking down the runway. Yeah, if you can't do if you can't do like three sets of stairs, you shouldn't be allowed to model. Good point. And and along her lines too, there's all these specialty, almost you could say fetish um, lines for women, like you know extra hefty bathing gear and stuff. But you you don't see that for the anorexic women. No, there's no anorexic clothing line. There's it's no true. little little stocking stuffer. Well, no, they, the women, those women like to wear extra oversized clothing, though, to make themselves look even skinnier. Well, they don't have their own line. They're, no. they're underrepresented. And look, both, both of these people are at risk for organ failure. There is no like under 100 clothing line so for <laughs> people who only weigh double digits. I guess you just buy children's clothing. 
I know. They shoot, I see Jamie King. They buy regular clothing that looks even bigger on them. That, ex, that accentuates how skinny they look. I know when they look in the mirror, they don't see that. They think they're fat or whatever, so they buy bigger clothes. But when the, you know, to the to the casual observer, it just makes them look even skinnier. I so. always thought this uh, Jamie King person. Not that I was, she was ever on my radar so much, but she's she's really really fucking annoying. Yes, like incredibly self absorbed and uh, self righteous. She thinks that having a baby, uh, that you know, she did a favor to the world. Um, I, I never thought I'd really agree with her. Yes, I agree with her. Today's day. Today's the day I agree with all the ladies in the stories. I agree with uh, Siri Cruz. I agree with the uh, anorexic Jamie King. I agree with Ariel Winter's mom, Crystal. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going with everything. Other than the other than the woman who told accused Charles Payne of rape. I'm not. I'm not behind her. So what if a dude? Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> what if? Uh, I don't know. Jamie King's husband said what what Jamie King said. Do you think he would be vilified to some yes, degree? Yes, of course. He couldn't say that. In fact, it's funny. I mean, actually, it would actually make it would be more profound if a fat woman said it. That look, if we're going to let fat women walk, you should let skinny women, you know, unusually skinny women walk. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Jamie King actually defended the skinny women is just so perfect. Because she's she's just so gaunt. It's so perfect that she's like defending her own kind. I kind of like that. She might also not be the best spokesperson because she appears to have something going on with her uh, physically. I mean, there are there are women. Yeah, but she that are just thin. She probably thinks just like the (laughs) large women think that's their natural size. Uh huh. She probably thinks her size zero is just her natural size. She'll tell you she eats and eats and eats, and this is she can't get any put any weight on. I guarantee she'll tell you that. She'll do like the Instagram post of the In N Out burger. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So if she and she's gonna say her natural body type is is zero, and then why should she be discriminated against? Why shouldn't she see models who look like her? I, I would just say it's just sort of a little a little twist on her point. There are just thin women and you know, they they shouldn't necessarily be called said that they're not real women or, or you know, otherwise discriminated against because Frankly, everyone thinks they're hot, and it pisses off other women. Hell yes, we came out for skinny women this week. <laughs> good, one. good one, Matt. You can't go home, uh, Brian. You have something wish to pimp for running the show this week? Not really, man. <laughs> My life has gotten so boring since that bar closed. But really? Rocco's is cool. You guys are the highlight of my week. You sound kind of da- it's kind of sounded down. I hope none of your relatives send dick pictures to someone at their office. <laughs> that I might lose. Brian, might lose. Brian, might lose. Brian, Matt. What about you? Something you're selling? Um, like a, like a Scotty, you're selling yourself, your soul for? Uh, MattRalston.net. I have a couple articles up there, and I don't know more news in the near future. I read all your articles. I'm waiting for Google to shut you down as a hate as a hate as individual hate group. I want to thank Rocco's in Studio City. You guys were come on more fake applause, please. More fake applause. That's the smoker in the back. Uh, thanks, Rocco's. This is Lex. Last minute. Talk to you next week. <laughs>